We've been doing a series in the book of Proverbs for the last, how's this work, Max? Let's see. For the last, you're kind of a tall dude. What's going on with this? Oh, looking down. Okay, I don't want to look down. So we've been doing a series in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to finish it up tonight. And if you know the book of Proverbs, but now I can't see AJ. Man, it's just hard to get the right answer, isn't it? Um, if you know the book of Proverbs, and we're at the very end, where do you imagine we're going to be this evening? At the end. But what is the end, you guys? What's the end of Proverbs? Proverbs 31. And if you know Proverbs 31 at all, then you might think, hang on, I'm getting a phone call from my son, so we're going to turn that off. And we're going to do this instead. All right. So as we've been looking at Proverbs, we've been doing it topically, essentially. We spent a week looking at what Proverbs says about anger and a week on generosity and, I don't know, a week on sloth. We did a whole bunch of different topics. Um, And I hope those times have been helpful. And I really hope that maybe some of you have developed a new habit of reading one chapter of Proverbs a day, kind of corresponding to the date of the month. I think that's a great habit to develop. And we could continue with that topical approach this evening And if we did, and if our text was Proverbs 31, what do you think our topic would be? Godly wife, women, pretty much the wife of noble character. Proverbs 31 tends to be a very well-known passage, especially to women. I'd be surprised if there are many women that have been uh, in a Christian community very long that have not heard teaching on Proverbs 31. Um, But we're not going to do that. We're not going to address this topically because I think if we did, for one, one problem is that you'd miss out on something really important and needful, and then I think that I would deepen a misunderstanding, and if there's anything that I hate to do, it is to deepen misunderstandings. And so, in order to end well, um, we need to kind of come back to the beginning of Proverbs and turn the kaleidoscope a little bit and look at the book through a different lens than one that you might be accustomed to seeing it through. And if we do that... And I think Proverbs 31 is going to come to say something different from what you're used to. And the, the specific change that I want to make as we run through a kind of a recap of Proverbs is I want to lay a narrative grid over the book. I want you to see Proverbs as a story, as an ongoing story. Much of the book admittedly seems somewhat disjointed. It's hard to see like, how would this be a story from like basically chapter 9 or 10 on. Um, but there is a story. And I want to kind of walk you through how that works. And then we're going to land in chapter 31. You ready? Here's how Proverbs goes. As the story begins, there's a young man, and his entire life, all the world, lies before him. And he's getting ready to go out into it. Fortunately, he's not alone. He has a father. He has a dad, an older man who loves him, who cares for him, and who wants him to flourish. He wants him to thrive. And so this dad exhorts him over and over again, son, there are two paths in life. We could actually refine that a little bit and say that there's one path in life, but it constantly forks into two different paths. Not just once, but over and over again. There's a path of wisdom and a path of folly. And the the tricky thing about it, there not being just two paths, but one path that constantly forks, is that it would be really lovely if we could just choose to get on the path of wisdom, set it on cruise control, and go. But that's just not the way it works. In real life, there's constantly a fork, constantly a decision that we get to choose between wisdom and folly over and over again. And so the the father gets down at his son's level and he's basically saying, son, I implore you, you, it's crucial that you would pay attention to your mom, that you would listen to me, that you would make these right decisions. The crucial step in your life is that you would choose wisdom and then do it again and then do it again and then do it again. 
And as he says this, really for the first seven, eight chapters, he just repeats this refrain over and over again. I'll give you one of them in chapter two. Listen to how he frames it out. This is Proverbs 2, verse one. The father says, my son, if you will accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then... Something good will happen, okay? So over again, search for it. This is the thing that you long for. Now, if it were me, if I was listening to this speech, like, if you will do this, if you will do this, if you do this, then, I think he's about to say something like, then you'll be rich. Then you'll be successful. Or at the very least, then you'll be happy, right? There's some payout, some benefit, some some good thing that comes with it. But look what he actually says. If you do all these things, if you search for it for silver, hidden treasure, then... You will understand the fear of the Lord. What? And you will find the knowledge of God. That ending, to be honest, makes my record skip. If I was listening to this and he's like, hey, if you do all these things, if you search for this, then you'll be afraid. And I'm thinking, well, then I don't want to do that, right? How is that good news? Because most of the things that I fear, I fear because they're bad, right? We fear snakes and we fear cancer. And we fear bankruptcy. We fear things because they're bad. Which I think it always makes me at least, or maybe it makes you as well, cock your head. When somebody says you should fear God, it, what probably runs through your mind is a sense of like, well, why should I fear him? Is he bad? Is he like a snake? And the answer is no, he's nothing like a snake. And we don't fear God because he's bad. We fear God because we're bad. And there's something wrong with us. We do not. We are not invited to fear God the way a patient fears cancer. We fear God the way cancer fears chemo. And if that single idea will fall into place, both for this young man of Proverbs, but also for us, then everything else begins to open up. When we come to the recognition that this is his world, not my world, and that I have routinely violated his expectations of me, then I will come to assume a posture of contrition and softness. I will begin to thirst for grace. I will long for mercy. I will know that I am a person who needs to be forgiven. And then my heart will just be filled with gratitude to find that those very things that I need most of all are mine in abundance. And my sense of penitence before the one who rightly and justly evaluates my life that will help me choose the proper fork when the decisions come. And so the father is saying to his son, listen, this is the crucial step. If you are gonna choose the right path, it begins, it doesn't end here, it doesn't end in fear, it begins in this proper sense before the one who has the right to evaluate you and does. And so the father is having this conversation with his son for like eight chapters, it just goes on and on. He keeps saying it over and over again, right? Fear God, choose wisdom, don't shipwreck your life. And then the time comes for the son to step out into the big bad world, right? To, to kind of leave this kind of safe waters with his father and then let, go do it and start making the decisions. And when he does, these abstractions of wisdom and folly take on a very particular and a very alluring form, okay? Now consider that our main character is a young man. What do you think is most likely to capture a young man's attention, particularly as he's about to step out into the world as he is coming of age. Did you say dames? 
That's right. Dames, babes, chicks, whatever you want, right? That's right. It is women, and indeed it is. And so, so wisdom, at this moment in the story, wisdom is personified as a woman. There is this woman, and she is beautiful. She promises happiness, and she stands at the crossroads and says, follow me. Come and follow me, and I will give you the delight of your heart, which is awesome, which is great news for this guy. However, there's another woman as well. There's a second woman who appears, and she too is alluring, and she stands at the crossroads, and she makes the same promise, but she makes it, makes it through a different means. In particular, she says things like, stolen water is sweet, to which the young man might think, it is? Because I like sweet things. She says, my husband is gone. He won't be back for a long time. And my sheets have been perfumed. At which point, I'm sure that gets his attention. And he has to make a decision. What will he choose? There's this woman wisdom, and there's this woman folly, and we don't know what he's going to do. And there's this dramatic tension. And then, something fascinating happens in the story. For the forms of these two women just disappear. And we don't see them again for a very long time, at least not in the shape of women. Instead, this young man is shown over and over again choices, choice after choice after choice. They are still wisdom and folly. They're just not quite as obvious as they had been as he began his journey. One of these voices invites him to speak harshly. Just say it, get it done. And the other voice invites him to speak gently, harsh word, stirs up anger. A gentle word turns away wrath. One voice shows him the benefit of taking advantage of the poor because, frankly, they're easy money. They're weak. Take advantage of them, and you can profit off this. And another voice invites him to give to the poor, to never seek to take advantage of them. One voice says, hit the snooze bar, take it easy. And the other voice says, get up, be diligent, and do the difficult work that lies before you. And this is the point of the story where it's very easy to get lost and for it, where it gets really hard to see that it's even a, still a story because honestly, it's incredibly disorganized. And the next 20 chapters of Proverbs defies any sense of like, you know, organizing principle you might lay over it. And I have often wondered about that. Like, why does the story, the story just descend into such absolute chaos at this point? And if you don't mind my saying so, I think it's disorganized because our lives are so disorganized. If, if I were to say to you, hey, listen up, Okay, you have a decision to make, and the right path is wisdom, and the left path is folly, and so make sure you get this one right. If I were to do that, then there's a reasonably good chance that you might, in this instance, actually get it right, because the table is set before you so clearly. You might make the right choice in a conscious moment, but the reality is that is not the way life works, that we are forced to choose between wisdom and folly before we even realize there is a choice to be made. And so, back to our young man, he, is, uh, he has the ringing in his ears is the explicit appeal of his father who's calling him to make the right thing. But we don't know to which woman he will unite his life. Will he choose wisdom? Will he choose folly? Will he heed his father's call to embrace Lady Wisdom? Or will the siren song of folly prove to be just too much? And he follows her down her path. If you want to know how the story ends and what he chooses, all you have to do is flip to the end of the book. Because at the end of the story, in Proverbs 31, we get to read about his choice. 
And like all good stories, you guys, this story ends well, and the man chooses well. Now remember this, if, you, if we were to go back to Proverbs chapter 3, in, this, in these exhortations, he's told this, he says, whatever you do, find wisdom, for she is more precious than rubies. And as the poem of chapter 31 begins, in verse 10, it says, an excellent wife who can find She is far more precious than jewels. Do you hear the echo? He was told in chapter 3 to trust the Lord. He was told that hard work and diligent effort will bring gain. And he's told here in our our little poem in 31 and 11 that his his heart trusts and that he will have no lack of gain. That's interesting. That sounds familiar. He was promised back in chapter 11 that the desires of the righteous and only in good And in Proverbs 31, in this poem, it says that the one that he has chosen does him good and not harm all the days of her life. He was told that the wise are diligent, and that Proverbs 31 is vividly diligent. It's one of her most striking characteristics. He'd been exhorted repeatedly that the wise look after the poor, they lend to the poor. And the bride of Proverbs 31 is open-handed. She gives generously to the poor. She opens her hands to the needy. You guys... We could continue on this if we had the time, but every line of the Proverbs 31 poem that we've always thought was actually about this noble wife, every line of it is describing wisdom. That poem is about Lady Wisdom. She is not just any wife. She is not an idealized wife. She is not you, and you are not her. She is unquestionably Lady Wisdom. And the end of the story is that the man of Proverbs chose well. Proverbs is a story about a young man who's faced with a series of decisions. His his father longs for him to choose the path of wisdom. And as he comes of age, two very different women make identical promises to him. But one of them is lying. And then life comes. It's dizzying as it is fast. The choices are stark, but that doesn't mean they're easy. They have very different outcomes, but they're not always easy to know what to do. Wisdom is clearly better than folly, but folly so often seems better. Have you ever noticed that? Like over and over again, it seems like it is. And so the man faces choices. What will he choose? When we flip to the end of the story, we find he chooses wisdom, and all of the incumbent blessings promised to wisdom begin to flow into his life because of that choice. That's the story of Proverbs, okay? Make sense? I know that was quick. We covered a lot of ground, and maybe in a little way that's discordant to what you've ever been told before, but that's what's going on in Proverbs. But what it leads us to is the question of, is the story of Proverbs the story of you? What decisions have you made? What choices have you made? You also have a father who loves you, who wants you to flourish, who wants you to thrive, who calls you to choose the path of wisdom, and you are confronted with big decisions on a regular basis. Will you prioritize worshiping with the people of God or will you spend another week sleeping in, working around the house, going to the lake, doing something other than gathering with the people of God? Will you foster good relationships at work, giving your life away, serving those that you're called to serve and those with whom you serve, your, co- your clients and your colleagues? Will you be selfish and self-contained? Will you give yourself away? Will you Lay up treasure in heaven, or you spend it all on things that moth and rust destroy. Essentially, have you married wisdom, 
Or do you share a bed, perfumed though it be, with folly? Now, one final word, one actually a little bit of time for the ladies in particular. Uh, I would assume that many of you have heard Proverbs 31 taught through the lens, through a different lens. Proverbs 31 is taught as the obligation laid upon you to behave in a particular way. Yes, have you heard this before? Now, if you have, it's possible that that has been inspiring to you. And and I'm seeing no faces, okay? (laughs) And it is also possible that it has just put you under the pile. Is there more of that? Is there more of that? You guys, the risk of that, the risk of reading Proverbs 31, in fact, the risk of reading all of the scriptures through a moralistic lens is that it tends to feed either an arrogant self-righteousness as you think that you've jumped through some hoop or on the other side, just despair that you can't live up to some standard that has been put upon you. So come here for a second. All the men, just have a drink. All right, listen, listen to me, ladies. You are not the woman of Proverbs 31. You are not the hero of the story. This passage is not about you. The woman of Proverbs 31 is Lady Wisdom, and you are not expected to be her in all of her perfections. Rather, you are exhorted to unite your life to her so that all the blessings and all the benefits of wisdom would flow into your life. Now, the Bible does some weird things with gender, okay? Not the same weird things that our culture is doing with gender, which I think are actually quite calamitous, but rather it plays some interesting games that you, gotta, you have to kind of be comfortable with the discomfort. For instance, men and women together are portrayed as the bride of Christ. The church, his, he has one bride. He doesn't have a whole bunch of brides. He's got one bride, but that bride is comprised of men and women. And I think sometimes for the guys, they're like, oh, so exactly how does that work that I am part of the bride that feels odd to us, right? Not only that, but men and women together are the sons of God. Sometimes we, can try, we try to like update the text, but the text is very, very specific. When it, speaks, when it gives language and it calls Christians to be the sons of God, that's because the sons are the ones that get the inheritance. Men and women together are partakers of the inheritance. We are all sons of God. We are all partakers of the primogenitor of the, of the times in which the scriptures were written. And in the exact same way, men and women together are exhorted not to be wisdom, but to unite our lives to the one who is wisdom. I want you to hear this particularly for the ladies because I don't, want you to, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here, what this passage is saying, such that you either feel excluded or burdened. I don't want either one of those things. The main character of Proverbs is male, right? It's a son who's being exhorted to choose wisdom. And it would be very strange if in the last chapter the illustration of all this being done right is that now we flip to having a woman who does everything right, okay? That's not what's going on here. This male character of the book is choosing a bride. Will he choose wisdom? Will he choose folly? But that male character, he represents both men and women. You are, women are fully included in the drama, in the storyline that's going along here. And together, just as men and women together portray or are the body of Christ, men and women together are the sons of God. Men and women together are invited to unite our lives to wisdom and to have all the benefits of it. For male and female, for adults and for children, this is the crucial imperative of our lives, to choose wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so, in choosing wisdom, we're necessarily 
choosing him. And if we reject him, we are necessarily rejecting wisdom. In a strange way that this gender thing once again kind of gets flipped is when wisdom actually becomes a human being. Did you know this? Wisdom became a person. That person is Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians 1 that he has become for us wisdom from God. He has become our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. The great thing that he does, the, the, the gift above all gifts, is that he draws us to himself. Not so that we could become wisdom, but so that we could become wise. So that all the benefits of wisdom would be ours. And that is what Proverbs is really trying to impart to us. Not to lay upon us some moralistic burden that you will never be able to bear, but to introduce you to a person who loves you and who gives all things, not just for you, but to you. 